Hello and welcome to another edition of Doing Things Better and Doing Better Things. Um, and today is, oh, it's a lovely conversation. It's over Zoom, so you're going to have to forgive the glitches and the, uh, 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 that you inevitably get with um, conversations over Wi-Fi like that. Uh, but it's a, it's a conversation with a, a chef. Um, she home educated. She she was home educated for a little while. So we share in common. Well, we home educated our kids for a little while. Um, she uh, has lived in all kinds of environments. She's done all different manner of things. Uh, she's incredibly eloquent, articulate, fiercely bright, um, and. She's one of those people that I really enjoy talking to over Zoom because her her Zoom room is also her kind of like storage area in a in a in, a, in an office. So she's surrounded by ingredients, um, and I absolutely love talking to Naomi Devlin. Um, I'm not going to give you more of an introduction than that. She introduces herself, and it's a really lovely conversation. So tuck in. Who knows. So I'm sat, um, I'm sat in my garden studio. It's a little bit cold because it's shady here, but it's bright outside. And I'm talking to Naomi Devlin, who is sat in her, it's my favorite person to talk to on Zoom because your, your Zoom room is your store cupboard. <laughs> and also office. Okay, I just love office it. Office slash store cupboard. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Look, Naomi, tell, tell me who you are. Tell me about yourself. Okay, well, I am primarily, I guess, I'm a teacher and I teach people particularly gluten-free because I was diagnosed with celiac disease about 18 years ago. And so I, I learned from the, the ground up how to bake gluten-free. And so that's become my specialism. I'm also a nutritionist. And, as, and so my focus when I teach is health and, but also I'm a foodie. So it's, you know, how, how can I make delicious food? Um, so, I, and I guess my USP as a gluten-free teacher is that I use whole grains and rather than trying to replicate what you find, you know, from white bread or, you know, from wheat. I'm thinking, what's the inherent quality of this grain and what makes this so delicious? Uh, and then I'm going forward from that. Uh, and I'm self-taught in lots of different ways. So um, unusual way, and that's to do with the way I was brought up. I grew up in a commune. I was going to um, say, let, let's let's go there first. So yeah, tell me, tell me about your childhood. Okay, so. I so I was, I was born in Ireland uh, and to seemingly quite a normal family uh, of artists and my dad's an, uh, uh, an architect and they moved over here in 75 and then uh, quite soon afterwards uh, my they split up so uh, towards the end of the 70s they split up and my mum went you know her her inner anarchist came out and she went for it in a kind of a alternative lifestyle way I guess and so that was the beginning really of uh, her exploring anarchy and um, all the kind of causes that she then later got into CND uh, the women's movement was really strong and so that was the kind of start of of my entry I guess into the edges of society that's where we were kind of living on the edges of society and when I was 11 we moved um, down to Dorset where I live now actually to a commune and we looked around at several communes and they decided to go to that one because it had no religious grounds it was just people trying to live sustainably and uh, that obviously, and my mum had um, got together with a new partner, had two sisters. And quite soon after moving there, I, oh, I haven't turned off my notifications. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't hear anything, don't worry about didn't it. Hear it. <laughs> um, quite soon after moving there, um, I came out of school and it was a, I think if How it had just been. How old were you when you came out of school? So I was 
11 when I came out of school. So uh, uh, towards the end of 11. So in, we, we lived in Winchester when, we, when they moved over to, um, to the UK and uh, which was just actually a gorgeous place to live. It was very gentle and I had, you know, lots of lovely friends and uh, I went for a term to the local secondary school and found it wonderful. I really loved it. I'm, I'm bright, you know, I, I've never had a problem at school and I was flying, you know, for the first kind of couple of terms there. And so when I moved down to Dorset and went to the local school here, it, which was full of um, army kids and, and kids who didn't really want to be there. And it, it just had a very different feeling. Uh, and I came in because they didn't transfer over any of my, um, you know, my grades or anything. I came in in the bottom stream. It was all streamed. And, uh, and I just couldn't, I couldn't stand it. I was like, why, what are we doing here? You know, I actually want to be learning stuff. And, and so that's why I came out of school. So I, I started truanting and my mum said, look, I've heard about this thing called home education. <laughs> why don't you come out of school? And, you know, not, not many people were doing it back then. It was quite a, a you know, it was quite a, a, a kind of um, unusual thing to be doing. And so, um, yeah, so I came out of school and we tried to replicate kind of lessons and all of that sort of thing. Uh, and it just didn't work. And after a few months, I, I just said, do you know what, I'm just going to work out what I want to learn. And then I'm going to find the people to teach me that. And then that's what we'll do. And, you know, and I did because she had a degree in English and she she was really interested in writing, used to do creative writing. And, you know, I read Tolstoy when I was kind of 12, you know, and and but because at the time I was like this this is what I want to do. And I did gardening with, there was a Swiss lady who, who was in the garden all the time. So I, I learned French and did gardening with her and, uh, you know, various people just went to them and said, you're good at this. How about we spend some time just doing this? And that really suited me. Um, I, I think, I mean, it's hard to know, isn't it? Because, uh i did go back into school later and uh and actually my experience was that uh that the constraints of it as in now time for this and a lot of time for that just did not suit me i just don't work like that and i like to have a, a kind of a longer time to to spend doing something to really get into it you know and then when I've had enough then I'll do something else. That's brilliant there's, lo there's loads to talk about in there but I'll go over the obvious one first. <coughs> we homeschooled as well for about five years we homeschooled our two daughters and, um, and it was absolutely such a roaring success and, mm. and, and we stopped when they wanted to stop um, and we stopped when you know you, you moved towards well I think Tilly was well, Tilly was she, Tilly would have been about twelve, I think, and Mabel would have been about eight, mm. something like that. And um, it was brilliant, uh, absolutely. Uh, and school is broken in so many ways, and it's never the teacher. The teachers are amazing; it's always the system. Mm. But um, allowing children's allowing children's education to, to fall out naturally, so so to moving away from timetabled lessons, although you you've got to do a little bit of that, was was a, was a real freedom. But but. The criticism we got, and we did get criticism, was around the socialisation. You know, mm. how, how, how are they going to how are they going to learn how to deal with people? Well, they they were in mm. a group of in a group of like sixty homeschoolers, mm. group of with two days a week. They were in a group of 10, 12, 10 to twelve, two days a week, and they were they were at home with Nicola, um, and it was mainly Nicola did the work one one day a week, and. Mm. I say it all the time, but there's no, there's nowhere more lonely than being on your own in a playground crying mm. to yourself. And, and it was, I, I found it an incredible experience, incredible experience. And look, you know, you, you're right. You are really clever. And, and just think how many kids get to where you got to. And because they weren't, I'm going to use the word nurtured because they weren't nurtured in the right way. 
did what you did, Truanton. And then it's a really short leap from, from Truanton to, to actually stepping outside of any progressive system at all. Absolutely. Getting, I mean, so for example, uh, you know, uh, just so that it's not all rosy, there are some casualties. I know some casualties of that system, you know, uh, and there was a girl that I knew at that time who was doing doing exactly the same thing as I had done, as in her parents decided that they would homeschool her because she was having a hard time at school. But it was just them on their own and there was no network like you were talking about, no network. And they were super liberal and she just started taking drugs and you know she would come and hang out at the commune but but mostly she was just interested in taking drugs and it, it someone didn't get in there at the right time and inspire her to turn that curiosity into something positive and so she turned it into you know into destroying herself essentially uh, and and there are other kids that i know who never learned to write and it held them back you yeah. know so i think uh the social aspect can be super important that i also know another family who was super religious and took their kids out because they didn't want them to be exposed to you know the, the kind of non-religious side of education uh, and they were very strange and maladjusted indeed you know and so it's um it's a great responsibility if you do that to to make sure that that you're exposing your kids to all of life you know and not just your narrow bit of it i i, I completely i completely agree with you actually um interest really i mean good experience for us not for everyone but look i'm 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 i'm, I'm thinking through this beginning of your life and you um speak very lightly of your parents um divorce um how did that make were you on your own at this point you're the only sibling with your no father? i had a younger sister yeah how yeah so i was five and she was three when they when they divorced how did that make you feel well apparently i was incredibly angry <laughs> and i did not hold it in <laughs> so, so i was just firing off at all opportunities and i was a very um precocious child so i was just out there going this is not okay and uh, it was my younger sister who kind of kept it in much more and was very, very tearful and needed a lot of nurturing and it was interesting i mean my mum says <laughs> the thing my mum has always said to me is i never worried about you because you always be okay uh, which is an interesting thing because actually yes and no everyone needs nurturing everyone needs someone to say are you all right oh no whatever and actually um yeah so so i what i from that point i think i decided okay i i am now the adult in the house <laughs> and and i'll just get on and and be that you know and so and that's also because my mum has very childlike qualities. So she she is a wonderful kind of dreamer and, uh, you know, incredibly um, embracing of the alternative, you know, and, uh, and of causes and of all of that. But in terms of actually being in the world, she's not great at that. And so from an early age, I had to be great at being in the world and you know organized and self-directed and so i think that's actually the effect that that the divorce had on me and so the coming out of school for me was a natural progression it was just like hey i'm already doing all this for myself i'm already you know in a place where i'm kind of uh you know ready to find out and and directing myself it you know so it made sense but but I think it's super important for kids to be kids. And so I think maybe that was missing for me, you know, Ooh. and I've had to find it later. And, 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 and in many ways, isn't it? So, I mean, I've, I'm fortunate my parents, um, I, well, I, I, no, is it fortunate? My parents didn't never divorce. They've, 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 they've been together all along. Uh, but I think there's nothing worse than being in a family with two parents who don't want to be together but who are so i've no i've no issue with yeah yeah the way people my um, husband's exactly the same his parents exactly the same you know kind of 
grinding on because yeah. that's the right thing to do. So uh, that's not right either, is well, it? it? And it, that it, has a, a negative effect. T t t totally, and, 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 that, and that wasn't my parents, but I've seen people, I've seen people quite badly damaged by, by that, actually, in terms of trust. Mm. Um, but I'm really interested in, um, I'm really interested in, in, in this, this idea that you just said about your mum saying, I wasn't worried about you and you'll always be okay. Mm. And you stepping up and, and playing a role that is semi-parent, quasi-parent. Mm. And, and the strong ones, us strong ones, we often, it's often assumed we're fine and, and therefore aren't asked about. And yeah. we become the giver and, and the carer. Yeah, and, yeah. and we're still children even now. And we still yeah. need to be cared for. It's a, it's a really dangerous role, actually. It's a really... It's a really risky uh, position yeah, to yeah. often when no when everyone thinks you'll be okay. And then you get invested in being okay and projecting that and it gets harder. It's like with I think with any projection, it's harder then to to pop it aside and say, actually, look, <laughs> look, here is a vulnerable person, you know, here's someone who needs to to be looked after. You're like, I can't possibly pop that aside because this is what people expect of me. So yeah, I totally had to learn that and I think one of the things that so certainly anyone who knows me knows I'm incredibly silly I'm silly and I have a potty mouth and I love to play and I think that's and, and particularly when I teach and so for years when I was sitting with people as a nutritionist and you know saying uh, I have this kind of crease in the middle of my brow from or in fact that one from going tell me about your hemorrhoids <laughs> and uh, and then you know and um, and actually I just wanted to laugh every time someone said fart or you know to to be silly and so when I teach I've got progressively sillier and it's just delightful because I have a lot of sensible information, a lot of nerdy stuff in my head to get across, but I don't need to be nerdy and sensible when I'm getting it across. And so it's like that for me uh, is when that comes out, you know, I've allowed her out. Finally, she's going, Hey, I'm here. I like fart jokes, you know, <laughs> I, love that. I, I got the most lovely message from a, a really good friend of mine in California who is, I'm training to, to be a Qigong um, instructor at the moment and I'm really enjoying my Qigong sessions. And she's training with the same guy, but in California, one-to-one, -one, well, she was. And she made, I messaged her the other day, I want to send her a copy of my book. And she, um, and she said, I'm really loving your Qigong sessions. You make, you crack me up. Um, it's definitely not very California. And I, and I thought, <laughs> what does she mean? And then I thought, oh, it's all of the rubbish that I, it's, when I go off on a, on a slight tangent, when I start talking about something that isn't Qigongi, and when I start talking about having to have a shit in the woods in the morning when I go for a walk, and it's that <laughs> that she means. But, but when I ask people if I should... Yeah, it's that, earthy, earthy. It's that, and, and, but people saying, no, don't stop it. Keep, keep, keep that in. Tell me about... Totally, it's authentic. It's totally authentic. I can't be anything other. Um, tell me, as everyone's going to be interested, what was it like living in a commune in the late 70s, early 80s? Well, I mean, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because it's like someone coming to you and saying, what was your house like? And you go, well, it was just, it was my house, wasn't it? You know, it's, it becomes your norm. So uh, when we first moved there, again, like I said, you know, we'd come from already a very chaotic place with, you know, people sleeping on the floor and, you know, anarch young anarchists coming and going, women's groups every week and all of this. And so I'd already had a kind of semi-communal existence. Um, and so when we moved there, it didn't, it obviously like any move it's new uh but for me it felt quite familiar and and i guess um and the the whole premise of the commune was it had been previously a, a progressive school and then the teachers it, in 1982 actually that's we we moved there the following year but it just it was literally uh, you know had just been born uh, and the teachers took it on and turned it into a commune and so they were 
very you know rather than being a load of kind of hippies who were smoking drugs and you know laying about they were actually it was much more akin to maybe the Amish you know style kind of working on the land milking the cows you know someone was building a house and someone was building a Botox caravan and you know it was very wholesome um and so you know people often imagine that it that it, it was less wholesome than it was i guess and so for me the wonderful things about it especially as a child of you know uh, uh, an unusual parent uh, let's say it was that there were so many different adults there and so many different influences uh, that it diluted for me what, what could have become a difficult relationship and actually allowed us to have a relationship that that was maybe even non-parental you know it, it, as in my mother just became someone who was around as well as all the other adults and I formed really close relationships with a lot of the adults there uh, and interestingly I was talking to someone recently and they were saying oh were you only 15 then you know, and, and it's like the, the idea of what age I was and what age everyone else was had kind of disappeared because we were all just living together. Um, so I guess that was that was interesting for me being the person who I was, is that I was very much accepted as just another part of the commune rather than people having to put me into a box and say, and now you are this age and you must do that. And so I found that incredibly freeing. Uh, it was there were no there was nobody saying do this do that but at the same time we had to run we ran it as a kind of course center for people to come and and do you know like wellness holistic courses and so uh so people came in and we feed them and and you know put them up in, in the house it was a huge huge place had 30 rooms and then all of those jobs were rotated, and so once or twice a week depending on how busy we were you'd spend all day in the kitchen cooking for the whole you know possibly 60 people so you know a, a literally a, an all-day job and you would start the day by digging the veg um you know milking the cows digging the veg we made our yogurt and our cheese and and you know all of those kind of uh, basic things and and then there would be another day a week when you were cleaning all day you'd be cleaning the house from top to bottom another day you maybe you'd be in the garden and so that there was a routine and there were jobs that were specific and had to be done uh, and and I really liked that you know I find that found that routine great because uh, within it there was lots of opportunity to to be and do whatever you wanted and then uh, once a, once a week, or we had a business meeting once uh, a fortnight, and then a feelings meeting once a fortnight. And once I was about thirteen, I started attending those meetings, uh, and, which I think was incredible to give a thirteen-year-old that kind of um, autonomy, you know. And so, uh, so there was lots of. Um, there was a kind of focus on authenticity and you know self-actualization a lot of people would come to the commune to discover themselves a lot of people came to break up <laughs> you know they came in partnerships and broke up there because it's an intense way of living you know it, 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 there's there's no escape from someone you don't like uh and or a situation you don't like or something that's going on in you and so i think a lot of people found it an incredibly intense way to live uh but for me because of the age i was you know teenagers are fearless aren't yeah. they and i was a, a particularly fearless teenager and so i was just like bam 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 okay i'm gonna do this i'm gonna try this i'm gonna you know and and so for me it, i think it it was incredible to be there because I had so many experiences. I just sucked them up like a sponge, you know, it was, uh, it was the right time for me. Definitely. You know, it, it, it sounds amazing. And it sounds, you know, in my head, I've got, I've got kind of the communes of filed away in disorder, um, kind of political power grabs in a funny kind of way. Yeah. Um, and being being isolated from other culture, it, yeah. How did you 
Oh, the last point's really interesting for me because you're a teenager. So music was going to be important. Fashion was going to be important. Early 80s <laughs> video. How did you stay in yeah. touch with any, with any of that stuff? Well, it's really interesting, actually, because I guess I didn't, you know, and, and when I look at a lot of the music that I listened to was from the 70s, 60s and 70s, you know, so I was listening to, to Joni Mitchell and Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young and, you know, and a lot of that kind of stuff. And, uh, and my, it was my sister who went out to school who was listening to Duran Duran and, and you know, Madonna and all of that. And, and so, and fashion wise, I did not give, uh, you know, I, I was going to say a shit. I don't know if that's all right here. <laughs> um, I didn't care. I made, I made my own clothes. I had this one pair of jeans that I started patching with little bits of Liberty fabric. And I, it, uh, by the end of their life, or in fact, they could still have carried on having a life. They were literally almost entirely patches and underneath all the jeans had fallen apart. And, and to me, that was just, that was a, a, a wonderful project. I didn't actually care how they looked too much. You know, I was barefoot the whole time. We didn't have a TV. So I have a whole kind of chunk of my life when pop culture, I don't, I don't really know that much about it. And people will go, oh, you know, such and such. And I think, well, I do know that because I've learned it later. But actually, my experience of it at the time was 100% different. You know, my, my, the stuff that I was doing was sweat lodges and circle dancing. And uh, oh, there was a thing called, um, there was a woman called Gabrielle Roth who did uh, the, these, this kind of expressive dancing which had five called the five rhythms where you would do staccato and then you would do uh, flowing and then you would, and it was just literally throwing yourself around a room you know like a nutter and uh, and not worrying about what you looked like and so when I came out and went and did an art foundation when I when I came out of the commune I would go clubbing and people would just be like they would like clear a space around me because I'd be like throwing myself around because I thought that would have been the late that would have been the late 80s yeah no, so that was actually I took so I took a year out. So I went and did my foundation when I was nineteen. So that was uh, was that ninety? Yeah. yeah, so ninety. House cute house culture, house music. Um, yes, the yes, beginnings the all, of rave. You know that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and 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 I was totally into that then. Yeah. You know, it was a bit of a. Well, well you, a you're really close. I mean, five rhythms and commune and love and openness flowed into that much more comfortably actually than someone coming from mainstream culture being a bit locked up and needing to drop an e in order to that's, access that's interesting is it yeah 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 so i did also drop some e's but um but I, you're right i would guess i was already in that place yeah and i was doing an art foundation so so anyway so yes yeah it i came out and i i did i found it hard to adjust to being uh i just found it weird to go shopping and and that people were all in their little houses and you know so in a way it was good that i was doing an art foundation where everyone is in together and everyone's you know the whole idea about foundation year is that you're breaking down the way you think uh you know which i was just i was totally up for you know yeah i'm great let's uh, if there's anything more to break down i'm going there you know so, so yeah so where did you do that foundation where were you what which which is that, that was bournemouth uh so it's no longer there but it was it's shelley park um in bournemouth yeah Excellent. and then i went on and did costume design at wimbledon so i went into london further into you know kind of city life and you know because bournemouth's still reasonably provincial i guess Sure. Well, at, at that point, it was still where you went to die. Um, it's not yes. that. No, no. That, that but, yeah, culture it, actually changed Bournemouth massively um, as okay. people moved out of Brighton to, to places that were more affordable and a bit further out. Bournemouth yeah. ended up um, taking advantage. Because I, I used to go on holiday to Swanage every year in the mm. 70s um, and mm. into the 80s. And Bournemouth, I mean, Swanage was pretty sleepy, still is, but Bournemouth it was is. like, considered to be 
yeah, it's where the old people went and then they might have had a day out in Swanage. And it's not yeah. like that anymore. It's, it's no, no, it's, it's, there's lots of surfers and yeah, yeah it's, you know, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it's a great place. It's a cool place. So um, what did, um, what did the commune, what, what did your, what did that commune smell like? What did it sound like? What, I mean, I can see the <laughs> rhythms, I can, I can, I yeah. can see the communal food and the slightly yeah. kind of smell of dairy and yoghurt and, and yeah. earthy and onions. Yeah, all of that, I can feel that. <laughs> What did it sound like? It's well, it sounded like I mean, uh, it's completely rural, so it, you know, the, the sound was of birds singing and chickens clucking and, and all of those kind of sounds. And then there would be a, there was a lot of music, so people would make music. We used to have evenings where everyone would just grab a, a pan from the kitchen and you know we have various drums and things like that and we just spent hours just drumming and chanting you know so it was very kind of primal and and I kind of I I want to resist the urge to make fun of it because that's amazing it's also yeah it is amazing but part of me is like oh god how cringy but actually no it was amazing it was amazing at the time to to be part of it uh, and for people to be doing it so unselfconsciously and and for it to be this kind of thing that was very very spontaneous so yeah that that was wonderful um or um we would do so we did lots of part singing so i was part of a trio of of, of women who we would just do part singing and we had this stone stairwell which was like being in a church you know the most beautiful acoustic and so we just, you know, after supper, just go into the stairwell, sing some folk harmonies. Uh, so there was lots of that. Uh, there was also, uh, so during the day, if we had a workshop on, uh, my favourite was the Reikian therapy, which is, it's, a, it's cathartic. Mm -hmm. And so uh, and one of the exercises they used to do was people would stand on either side of the room and one group would shout, no, and one group would shout, yes, no yes like this <laughs> just until people started you know freaking out and vomiting and <laughs> you know, it was just like full on and uh and then uh, i remember one time the um the kids or the commune kids who obviously weren't at school they were all just running around you know doing whatever standing outside <laughs> the Reichen room while they were doing that and just shouting big fat juicy willies <laughs> <laughs> for their voice with these guys going yes no yes it's just you know it's just like god you could not make this up <laughs> so yeah so so it's it was the sound of kids music think just general um kind of noises that you might hear on a farm i guess because it was essentially a working farm and then the odd you know hippie hippie sounds that's brilliant so tell me about university then so so you went to bournemouth um, costume design. Why did you choose costume design? Uh, like I'd always draw. Uh, my mum's an illustrator, and uh, you know, my dad and his wife went to art college, and so it was, and so did my grandparents. And so it was kind of, it, it was almost like I hadn't gone to art college. Something I, I would have really re been rebelling <laughs> if I'd gone and been an accountant or something. That would have been like, yeah. <laughs> sticking the finger up and so uh, when I was doing my foundation I just found that um, what I really I mean it's interesting I think maybe someone could have guided me differently but what I really loved was life drawing I absolutely loved drawing bodies uh, and I love drawing movement and so uh, and I also love fabric and textiles and and texture and so I was kind of in my foundation I was combining both of those and I also have a love of literature and, and so it was like well the, the obvious thing seems to be costume design you get to draw bodies and you get to think about uh, you know plays and and, uh, and books and all of that and clothes the people um, and interestingly when I was doing my my degree the thing that I got pulled up on most was that I was spending too much time actually drawing the drawings you know draw just just getting into drawing people's bodies uh, rather than thinking about how, how does this 
you know costume go at this time and when should be the change and what exactly fabric should it be and so uh and and what i really enjoyed was thinking about uh the actual character you know the actual person that i was clothing and i think that's actually why i then went on into becoming you know into more of becoming a therapist a, a nutritionist is because what i was really interested in was people's story it's actually what's going on what makes them like that you know so so that's that's kind of what interested me most about it i think and, and, and what makes you the kind of person that wants to know what makes them naomi what is it about you yeah well i think i'm nosy you know or curious uh but i also i'm always looking for connection and i really love it when i find it and when i find someone who's really willing to connect that's just something in me lights up you know and uh, and so understanding also i guess understanding how i work and understanding interactions between people that's it's always not only interested me but i want to i i feel like i see it quite easily you know i i understand i see oh oh okay you're doing that because you're feeling this and i'm feeling this and when our feelings and and, and needs come together this this is what happens and i see that quite quickly and i always thought everyone did but actually um i've had therapy over the years i've had therapy which i just if i had if i had more money i would be i would be regularly having therapy because it's just so brilliant Amazing. but uh, you know why not uh and and the therapist said you know you know not everyone sees things like this you know and i'd be saying oh, i find this so difficult because such and such is acting like this or you know when i'm talking to so on so and so like this they don't understand and they were just saying actually it, it isn't everyone doesn't see the world like that and that was quite a revelation for me because of course they don't everyone sees the world in different ways and and my insistence on people seeing the world the way that i did was what was getting in the way you know it's, it doesn't make me any more right than they are it's just that i see the world in a particular way uh, and and that way is definitely about unpicking what's going on between people. How do you? Um, thank you. Loads in there. How, how how do you stop that getting in the way? How, how do you let go of your need for people or your desire for people to see the world like you see it? Well, it, there's a kind of arrogance in that, isn't there? And so it's, uh, being aware of how arrogant that position is, is a start, you know, because why on earth should they see the world the way I see it? You know, the, my job as a human is to see the world how they see it and, and to honour that. And the, the, the problems always come when I'm not doing that, you know, so when I'm invested in... I'm right, I'm right, you know, this is the best way to do things. And so, you know, my lesson in person, I think, has been in always just trying to be as empathetic as possible. And I don't mean sympathetic, I don't mean, you know, pat you on the shoulder. I mean, I am trying to see you. I'm trying to feel what it feels like to be you. And then I can allow you to be you without it costing me. You know, so it, it, there's, a, there's always a, a place in which we can both exist and uh, and be ourselves and and all i need to do is see you and so i guess that's yeah that's what i would say is it's about empathy and it's about understanding someone else and and definitely you know and i'm talking like like i get this right all the time of course i don't of course i can be an idiot and a bitch and and all of those things uh but but when i have a word with myself and step back from it that's what i do is you know i think look we're only having this argument because i'm not seeing your point of view i you know I, I thank you i really appreciate that and there's some lovely brilliant insights in there um and after we spoke the other day um you spoke on the communion um you mentioned nonviolent communication uh, the book and yeah. um and a couple of people in the same literally the same week a couple of people have said you know you should read nonviolent communication and um and so i, so I bought it and i started it last night and and that first bit 
um, <clears throat> that understanding bit is really, really important. And I'm, I'm okay at that. I can see through people into what's making them tick. And it's different from you. So, so, so from, from what you said and from what I understand and from knowing you, the short while that I do, you, you can see how people interact with one another. You can see the, 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 me the mechanisms and the politics. I don't mean that in a big P way. And, and the way that people gel or don't gel, I, I, I can see the fractures and the breaks and mm. an individual rather than a group. Mm. And so there's something of the empath in, in, us, in us both, I think. But, but sometimes I, I, I forget the last bit, which is to not enforce my world, my view of the world on, on, on him. <laughs> And that's but but, but you're a questioner, and that that's the way to do it, isn't it? You know that that because I said that in the communion, I was like, "Gosh, you have such an amazing facility," and and that's interesting that you're saying that. It's about seeing the fracture or the break. So you're seeing almost like the break in the circuit, and you're like, "Oh, I see. You need to look at this, and once you look at this, everything, all the circuits will come together, and that's where you find your power." And, and I wanted to ask you actually, how is it seeing that stuff? Do you find, and, and in every day, you know, if it's a facility you have, do you feel compelled to make people aware oh, of God. their fractures? Yes, yes and, great question. Yes and combined with my openness, it's fatal. <laughs> okay. not everyone that works in a cafe wants to be quizzed about why they're still working in the cafe when quite clearly <laughs> they are shining and they have a radiance that is setting the world alight and, and <laughs> why they've been in the cafe for 10 years I, I asked this of a friend in <gasps> cafe in Saltaire and um and she just didn't know what to do and mm. I've got really and the woman I was with I having lunch with an old friend and she didn't know what to do either and she said you just it's just too much yeah. I thought, oh, and, and it, it's not so bad with, with that, but when it's at the checkout in, in the farm shop, then that's a, that's a different thing altogether. <laughs> and there is a compulsion that I feel to act, and my, what I've got better at is reining that in. And yes. Like, I, I, I'm sensing that you're not, you're a bit ill at ease, and if you ever want to chat about it, I'm, a, I'm around. I'm yeah, getting better yeah, yeah, at leaving yeah. the door open, not forcing my great big fat face through the door and trying to correct everything because you can't no well that's interesting the nvc that's the nvc stuff is about um the difference between a request and a demand and so when you make a request of someone you're saying is this okay you know you're you're taking a moment to check in with them and almost like to test the temperature of the water before you jump in and you and I are similar in that for many many years I've just literally jumped in with both feet and, and just gone here I am you know and and actually uh it's it's just much better to test the water first and it's not about being timid it's about being empathetic isn't it you know i'm right. saying i i need to find out if you're ready for for me to lay this truth on you right. absolutely and being you know being, being able to see through things is is a gift and it is also a curse a friend of mine i did a fact uh, matt bagwell who um i've done a, a podcast with already he's um mm. retraining to be um was retrained to be a breath coach and I did some breathing with him on a retreat, um, maybe, I don't know, just before the lockdown, actually, oh. about three weeks before the lockdown. And, um, and he t we did the Wim Hof method and then we went into a cold shower. And, and, and he said something that's kind of stayed with me. He said, just going backwards, you know, jump, going backwards, make sure that your chest isn't the first thing that hits, that hits the water. And, and I can feel that with, with what you've just said, actually. So, so just don't jump in with both feet. Just, just step down backwards. And yeah, then, yeah. And then you'll get you'll get a measure. Before we leave the commune, um, there's one question that's kind of been like bubbling around my head as I'm sat here percolating. Um, and it's to do with your mum, actually, and the, um, the, the way you describe her real world unreadiness. And, mm. and, but, but yeah, she found this, she found another partner at this point. Is there any part of you that feels that the move to a commune was about was about maybe dissolving her her responsibility, dissolving sharing her responsibility for bringing you up, because 
you're, you're on a different like level energetically and, and from a kind of experiential point of view uh, in being able to, ch to deal with those things before she did. And she's, she's older than you. Mm. She will be an amazing mm. woman and have great strength. I'm, I'm not knocking any of that. Do you think this was mm. part of a strategy to say, do you know what? It takes a village and I, and I'm, and I, and I need a village. To raise so uh, I've never thought about that and I imagine consciously she didn't either but I think you're absolutely right and that's what happened even if she doesn't didn't intend it that's what she made happen and actually how wonderful that she was able to 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 do that you know because yeah that's what she did so uh and that's that's really interesting that she's doing the same thing actually in lockdown that she cannot be apart from people and and she also like i said had has um dementia now uh, a very mild form so she's still fully functional but she cannot be apart we used to joke about about her in the commune because we used to do this thing called the void where everyone would go into a room and it didn't matter what happened in the room but no one would speak uh, I did it for one of my birthdays. I think like my 16th birthday, I was like, I want to do the void. <laughs> and when I thought back later, I was like, how many 16 year olds would be? I want to go into a room with some adults and be silent for five hours, you know. Anyway, and we used to joke that she would have to do the opposite, which was to go into a room and talk for five hours. And that would be her kind of, you know, meditation. And so what she's been doing is uh, there's a whole group of, of people who've been meeting in these gardens but obviously socially distant there's, there are benches all the way around the gardens and they've been sitting at two meter intervals and so through the whole lockdown period she's been doing that kind of religiously and it's like she has to gather a, a, a you know a community around her otherwise she can't function so that, uh, i think that's you're right that's what she was doing making a, a village and it was the best gift she could have given you and totally and it was probably the best gift she could have given the commune as well and and it was probably the best gift she could have given herself you know it, it's an incredibly mm. real world decision that she made you know mm. and I, I, so, mm. so she was ready and she she mm. is a seer and i i absolutely i can see that as you were talking i could see her finding in her mind's eye the right route for you mm. and it was done mm. with love that maybe wasn't apparent but maybe wasn't yeah 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 i'm totally aware that she she loves me but that she is a very damaged person you know and it's it's difficult isn't it with damaged people you have to uh you have to step away from your own need to be loved in a certain way and be prepared to see how it is that they love you in their own way you know so yes i i, I know she loves me yeah <laughs> but tell, tell me what happened after university so well after university i so i um went and worked in film for a couple of years or yeah a couple of years and it was insane uh and i was never at home just spent spending months on the road doing lots of drugs and uh you know just a very unfulfilling essentially I wasn't doing any kind of design I was washing actors socks and being groped and you know having to wipe makeup off collars and it, it was it was intensely unsatisfying uh, and so I moved sideways hmm? how long did you do that for so just a couple of years I mean you know it nearly killed me <laughs> it's really how did you stick out a couple of years? Well, it, it, because I didn't know what else to do, I guess. I didn't know. I, I just thought I just have to stick this out and I'll work my way up and eventually I'll get to design something. Uh, but uh, and then I realized, well, why am I doing this? It's not I don't like this world. I didn't. It was so full of fakery as well. And I'm not saying everyone who works in, in film is, is fake, but, but my experience of it was that there was very little that was genuine uh, and it was all so ephemeral. I just felt, it felt like eating fast food constantly. Uh, and so I moved sideways into fashion and loved that actually, but found that that was also similarly ephemeral. Uh, and, and so I didn't, 
stick at that I well, I'm not I didn't stick at that I did that again for an, another few years and then I uh, got pregnant with my son uh, and they made me redundant so it was kind of forced on me uh, you know that that basically they said I could come back and work in a shop <laughs> I was like that's not that's not the same job you realize that's not the same job you know going from designing to <laughs> it's so funny isn't it it's so horrific. um it's horrific and it wouldn't happen to a man right and i don't think it would happen now i don't think you'd be able to get away with it you know but this is you know 19 years ago and and so yeah the, the employment laws i guess were a bit different um and but you know, in many ways, it was one of those blessings in disguise. So I'd started to retrain at that point as, as a, um, a nutritionist. And, and that was actually what I realized is I need to be with people. I need to be making a difference. I need to be doing something more meaningful. Uh, and I'll find a way to incorporate all my drawing and creativity in another way. Uh, and so that that's what I did then just slowly worked at uh, I, I qualified at, at that and then um, moved on into working with people uh, and raising my son and writing a blog uh, so I started writing a, a blog and that was that then became my channel for creativity because I love to write I absolutely love it and so what I did was I just narrated little stories of our life uh and and shared recipes and and, and all of that and uh, we, i was talking to friends now who have kids and who document everything visually and i really have very little in in the way of photographic evidence of finn's childhood but i have this this whole range of stories about holidays and events and baking with him and things he did and you know and we'll sometimes go back and revisit them and actually there's something they're more they're more than a, a photo you know yeah, I get that I completely that. Yeah, okay how did you meet you missed a bit how you met your partner tell me about your partner oh yeah so that was at university so he was training to be a sculptor and I was doing costume design and we were friends for a whole year before we got together and I had definitely kissed a lot of frogs uh, before I found him uh, and uh, he was really just a really nice guy and I was like he is always going to be in the friend zone because he's just too nice for me he's uh why would he end up with someone like me anyway you know and uh and eventually i just realized actually and he realized actually i guess he realized that i maybe wasn't as scary as i as he first thought <laughs> and i realized that he was just a wonderful man and why shouldn't i be with a wonderful man uh and Absolutely. yeah but it but i had been with a lot of not wonderful men uh and and it was like uh, you know actually allowing because because of my own experience i guess of a lot of people uh, in my family not having successful relationships seeing a lot of people at the commune you know in relationships that were just dysfunctional i think that's what i expected that long term relationships were um but you know we've been together nearly uh, 25 years now you know so actually uh, it, i did it <laughs> you no, know it, it's amazing about the trend <laughs> there's, there's something in there isn't there there's something in there about the, the role model relationships we have and then what we normalize and what we think we and what we think we're going to get mm. but there's something deeper there's something about what we think we deserve mm. and we almost think and and I, i've known people like this who think they deserve to be treated badly they think they yeah. deserve to be not quite happy yeah. and not quite happy is not quite good enough yeah. everyone deserves to be treated well yeah. and and, and you, you know you've got to become the person you want to spend the rest of your life with before you find the person that you will spend the rest Definitely. of your life but I think there's also something about recreating the familiar you know and if your familiar experiences uh, like for example my father who is a wonderful wonderful man but is a workaholic and and that makes him distant he's he's very much out of sight out of mind so when you talk to him it's like you're being a, a, you know held in this wonderful kind of embrace 
it only lasts as long as you're on the phone to him and then for six months he won't think about you again and so I think that's what I was recreating you know was this intense being with someone where it's intense intense but then actually they're very emotionally unavailable you know and to find someone like Nick like my husband who actually you know is just just a good guy and really wants to be with you and is okay at, about saying that <laughs> you know it's like wow what <laughs> really is that does I that exist you know? <laughs> but look i mean the thing the thing about your dad and work i mean that's that's a defense mechanism it's it, it it's because oh i don't know your dad so maybe i'm talking rubbish but i've seen it in people who don't know who they are who, mm. who haven't really worked out what they're about and, mm. and rather than reveal that in a close proximity to somebody else, they do hide behind work. They, they, they find it much easier to say, oh, I'm a workaholic, or mm. um, this is what I, I you know, to, to, use the, to use the title of their job to describe who they are. And, mm. and we've encouraged that in society for a long, long time because we're quite closed, mm. open mm. people, people who dance and in the moonlight, we're rare. Yes, and but also I think it's really easy to say I am this because I do this, yes. you know, and and because I do a lot of it, therefore I must be better, you know, I must be good or I have value. It, it it's very hard. I mean, and you know, he's an Irish man of a certain generation, and that's very much even though he's very uh, woke, if you like, you know, in his way, he's a new man. He he also doesn't have. Uh, the ability I think to step outside that initial kind of training of, of being you know a, 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 a Irish man born in the 40s you know sure and the and the prejudice that was he faced and that was meted yeah. out yes absolutely that generation from that part of the world is, is deep and entrenched and and, and so deep and pleasant yeah tell, tell, tell me what because we've, we've we've gone on loads which i don't oh, yeah. i don't mind in the slightest but i'm aware of your time tell me what you do now naomi okay well so now i teach and uh so usually i teach in person and my spiritual home is river cottage uh which is amazingly for me just down the road uh we when we first moved back to my my manor where the commune was uh it was for nick's work and actually uh, i quite soon built a relationship with river cottage which i've 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 always loved what they do there and, and it felt like recreating something that i'd lost from the commune and so i've really enjoyed that i think what i've missed what i missed about when i was working just as a nutritionist was that I was on my own a lot and I really wanted community. I really wanted to be working in groups. Uh, I find it very hard just to be on my own. Uh, and so, yeah, so that's what I do. I teach, I go around the country and I also lead classes in London uh, or um, last month, just before lockdown, actually, I was setting someone, helping someone set up a, a bakery in Riga in Latvia. Um, you know, so, so I get to do a huge variety of wonderful things i work with um do product development with companies as well which is great uh because it's that idea that that because what sometimes i think what i'm doing could be seen as elitist because not everyone can always afford uh to come on those courses not at River Cottage, but with my own courses that I run in person, is on every course I have a, a discounted place for someone who needs it. So it's a 50% discount. And they come along and they do an hour before the course and an hour after the course, just helping out. Uh, and, and then they get the course at a reduced rate. And, um, and so for me, what's important is you know, making the stuff that I do as as not elitist as possible and so working with companies who are going to be putting this stuff out in maybe supermarkets you know actually uh, if i can do my bit to making it more wholesome or making it more sustainable or whatever that feels like a good thing sometimes it doesn't always work like that but at least i at least i've been there and said my bit you know i love that no i love that and and and, and having that kind of um openness in terms of encouraging people from the who you wouldn't normally have there matters mm. it's just my workshops are the same there's always a little thing at the bottom that just says 
bursaries available. We've all been there. Just ask. And, and, and I get lots of people that ask and, and I give as many as I can afford to give. But that's, that's what makes the workshop magic when you get yeah. people that aren't like, like, like you. So where are you yeah. going to in the future now? I mean, what's the future for you? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I feel like uh, lockdown has been a bit of a baptism of fire for me and a kind of wonderful one. Uh, which feels odd because obviously it's a terrible time as well for a lot of people. Um, but it's, I've, ju I've been running around like a, a crazy woman doing what I love, feeling insanely, you know, just uh, lucky to, to do what I'm doing. And yet I think I've been kind of burning the candle at both ends and I've, I've you know, I'm, I'm heading into menopause very quickly and, and my body's saying, hey, do you want to have massively raised cortisol levels all the time uh, or would you prefer to move into this next phase of your life in a healthy way? And I've noticed during lockdown my cortisol levels have just been just dropping. You know, I can feel the anxiety and not that I'm an anxious person, but there's a kind of sense of hurry about my life, which is must get this done, must get this done. Right, I've got to be here on this date and this time and this, you know, and, and that has all slipped away. And so I think I would like to find a way. I'm, I'm opening up a space in the world for me to be less hurried and to do my work in maybe slightly different ways. And I think I might have more classes here at my home and I'll just have smaller classes and just try and make sure that I am looking after myself first so that what I put out has a, a, a sense of you know a, a, it's not authenticity but you know I want to be I want to be as much as I possibly can walking the walk you know uh, there's nothing worse than saying to people you know uh, have you thought about the stress in your life that might be affecting you <laughs> and yeah and, and you know and you're kind of like oh <laughs> so I don't want to be that person I want to be the person who is very much walking the walk you know and it feels like I'm building an online community which I hadn't realized was so strong but there has been this incredible online community from around the world uh, that are just like, yes, we're here for you. We want what you're doing is great. We want to be involved. And that's felt like, I mean, my heart is so full at the moment. It's just been wonderful. So that's what's in the future. So I mean, what, 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 I mean, there's so much, we could do this again, right? There's so much <laughs> to talk about, but what I feel and what I can see in your eyes um, when you're saying that is I can see that that that, that you've always sought because you, you lived in a squat as well for a while did you our house was a squat but other people were squatting there so no we never actually lived in a squat <laughs> it's I can feel this this amazing woman who who was thrown into a commune and 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 and, and floated and thrived and who brings people in and has always been a teacher even at age 11 was a teacher I can see that you have helped build others in terms of their groups and their communes their tribes and now you feel absolutely confident in being able to form your own tribe and your own commune and and I, and I love the idea of that being a smaller commune around your kitchen table Mm. And the fact that people people are coming to you, and I'm not surprised, Naomi. You absolutely shine. You you you, you sit in a in a, in a door cupboard slash office, and you fill it with light, <laughs> and it's <laughs> utterly captivating. So please Thank you. carry on doing what you're doing. It's really Thank really you. needed. Oh oh, and back at you. I mean, you also fill whatever you do with incredible enthusiasm and honesty and it feels like such a privilege to to I mean I found you uh, you know a while ago in fact my one of my friends came to the do lectures and that's how I first found you and when I found them I was just like oh, I didn't even know there were people doing this it's like that's what I want you know so thank you so much for doing what you do and being out there because it's the world needs it needs us both thank you i wouldn't have it any other way amazing wow what a conversation anything that can kind of encompass 
homeschooling, living in a commune, um, five rhythm, five rivers dancing and uh, vomiting in Reiki and therapy is, uh, is a win for me. And it, it just shows me how, how from disorder, how from chaos, order forms. And um, Naomi is um, amazingly um, talented and structured and ordered and creative. And actually, that's because of her childhood rather than in spite of her childhood. And there's just so there's so much beauty in the way she speaks, what she speaks about and what she does. So I really hope you enjoyed that. Her books are available at all good bookshops when they're open. And um, and you, you reach out to her. She's one of the most lovely, open people I've, I've talked to. So um, look, thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. The whole idea of this series is to shine a little spotlight on those people doing things better or doing things differently um, and doing better things, of course. So um, if you know anyone that you think would be interesting or interested, then um, send them my way. Any feedback to mark at this is ape, A-P-E dot co dot UK would be massively appreciated. It's always good to know what people think. Whatever you're doing for the for the rest of the day, um, I hope it goes really well and you have a a really shiny, sparkly day. Thank you.